In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue to study the book of James, chapter 2. Just want to remind you guys, the book of James, St. James is sending a message, a letter to everybody. And the problem the church is facing is that there are persecution and there is poverty. And with persecution and poverty, people inside the church started to discriminate and started to treat the rich better than the poor because obviously everybody's in need and that becomes a problem. So St. James is talking to us about not to discriminate and not to treat people differently based on, in this case, based on their wealth. Also St. Paul in the scripture told us there's no Greek or Hebrew, there's no woman or male or female. We're all one in our Lord Jesus Christ. So when I look at somebody, I look at them and I treat them, they are the children of God. Last time, St. James was also telling us something very important. He said that if you think that you can follow part of God's law and leave the rest, you're wrong. Sometimes people feel comfortable with certain commandments and leave the rest. And he says, if, you commit, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. I cannot say, well, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but I'm not going to give to the poor. I'm, can I say, I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie, but at the same time, I'm not going to respect my parents. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. Because any sin that enters our hearts and we allow it and we let it rain, the word let it rain means I'm convinced of it, I let it become a ruler over me, I let it become a principle in my life, then it means that God cannot reign in my heart. So he was very clear. He says, last time in verse 11, he says, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Some people say, I, I, don't, I don't commit adultery. I don't, I don't lust. I don't do this. I don't do that. But then they walk around judging people. Well, you have committed murder. You have been murdering people's reputation everywhere you go. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. St. James is saying, when you talk and you take an action, know that you will be judged by the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? The law of liberty is the gospel. By the way, the Bible does not say you decide what's right and what's wrong. He said there's a law of liberty in the scripture that says what's right and what's wrong. So it's not up to me, it's not up to you. It's up to what the Lord is saying in the scripture. What's right and what's wrong. That's why, for example, uh, Martin Luther King, when he was talking about injustice to African American, he said the solution to injustice of Christians is not less, but more Christianity. True Christianity, deeper Christianity. And that's important. When we become true Christians, become follower of the law of liberty, God frees us from all the sins that we have been holding on to. So we as Christians will be judged based on what the gospel says, not based on 
my own standards. And then he says, for judgment is without mercy to those who show no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he's saying that if we, the people of God, start to discriminate and treat people differently and judge people and don't have mercy on people, because you don't usually have mercy on somebody who's rich or somebody who's attractive or somebody who is, who is stable. You usually need to have mercy on somebody who's weak. She's saying, if we do not show mercy, we will not receive mercy. If we do not show mercy, we will not receive mercy. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big statement. You guys, by the way, this is what our Lord Jesus Christ said. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Remember, I'm not sure if I told this story before, but there's a story that you know, it's said about Alexander the Great, where uh, a, a mother, uh, her son, was captured by Alexander the Great, and he was going to punish him. But the mother went to Alexander the Great and begged him and told him, please let my son go. Please let my son go. Please have mercy on my son. Please have mercy on my son. And then Alexander the Great looked at her and told her, he does not deserve mercy. Then she told him, if he deserves mercy, it would not be mercy. Because nobody deserves mercy. So what the scripture is saying, be careful, because the way we judge people is the way we will be judged. So God is saying, when you see somebody is mistreated or weak or ignored, or left behind, you must show mercy. We all try to run after people who are, who are popular, who, have, who, you know, who are famous, who is this, who is that, but we leave those who need the most help and who need the most support. A lot of times, for example, when uh, it's a clergy birthday, for example, you get tons of messages, but maybe somebody who a younger person might not get anybody recognizing their birthday. This act of mercy makes a huge difference in front of God. Another thing I want you guys to keep in mind in this verse, the Jewish mindset used to look at God as having two kind of parts, justice and mercy. And they used to actually say, there is two angels that guide each one. The angel uh, Gabriel is the angel of justice, and the angel Michael is the angel of mercy. And sometimes even in, 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 uh, in Arabic, they'll say Azrael. The word Azrael coming from kind of, sometimes has a negative connotation, okay? It's coming to take your life, it's come to judge you. For the Jewish mindset used to have, it's almost like God has two kind of, kind of the, the personality of God has two aspects, uh, justice and mercy. And this comes from Exodus. When, Exodus. when the Lord appeared to Moses, he told him, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, 
keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgression of sins, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's to children, the third and fourth generation. So if you look at what happened was Moses asked God to reveal himself, so God can reveal himself to Moses, and God passed by and told him who God is. And God told him, I am merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in, in goodness, keeping mercy. This is all great. But then the second part of it, he says, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to a third and fourth generation. He said, I am a just judge. I will still judge people. So some, that's why the Jewish mindset has these two kind of arms to God. Mercy and justice. Mercy and justice. But what St. James is telling us, is telling us that we, to receive mercy, we must show mercy. If you stand in front of God on Judgment Day, He's going to ask you, who did you show mercy toward? Very simple. And that is a condition for us to receive mercy. By the way, just to clarify this, when the scripture says, our Lord visits the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and children and children to the third and fourth generation, here he speaks not in the context of a person, in a context of a nation. So the nation is, he's talking to Israel as a nation, and Israel itself, if they have not repented, God can come and punish the nation uh, in later years. Now, St. James is going to start talking about, he starts talking about now, he talks about how it's important not to discriminate, how it's important to show mercy, how it's important to be kind to people. Now he's going to talk about a very important aspect, is where is this kindness coming from? Where is this love coming from? Is this love optional, or is it something that is actually required? And he's going to talk about faith and works. And before, before I come here, I want, to, I want to tell you something. St. Paul he spoke about faith in Romans, and he said he focused so much on faith and how faith by itself can save. And a lot of people misunderstood what St. Paul is saying. So St. James, as he's, as he's writing this, he has this, this in mind. And I'll, I'll make some stops, refer back to St. Paul, what he's saying, because this is important. He says, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? He's saying something very important. He says, can, if you say, I don't need to be merciful to people, if you say, I don't need to stick to all these laws, and you say, I believe in God, that should be enough to save me. If I say, can really that type of faith save you? You know what is this like? Some people, for example, walk around, and they wear a necklace with a cross, and when people ask them, do you believe in God? Yes, I'm a Christian. Do you pray? No. Do you read the Bible? No. Do you follow the commandments? No. Do you partake of the, of the sacraments? No. How are you a Christian? Is it simply by uttering words, saying, I'm a Christian? He's saying, can this faith save them? When I walk around saying, I'm a Christian, but I do nothing of what Christian life requires. Does that make sense? Does that match with identity? Or that's just lack of faith? Now he's going to give a specific example. He says, if a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily bread, 
And one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? So you see people in need. And you say, ah, you know what? They should have enough money. They can go work. They can put some money on credit card and pay it later. They can do this. They can do that. And you just stay passive. Say, God will take care of everybody, right? When we want to feel good about our conscience, we say, God takes care of everybody. Well, God has given you opportunity to serve somebody. And you say, it's not my problem. God will take care of it. He says, is this, is this, is this going to help anybody? Is this going to benefit anybody? Some of, uh, some of the, the rabbis in the Jewish mindset, they used to say, if you don't want to help somebody, just give them comfort, comforting words. My soul goes out to you because I have nothing to give you. But Saint James is saying, words are not enough. Because words are cheap. What is required from us is action. Is action. Because otherwise, it does not reflect our faith. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ said, in the last judgment, this is in Matthew 25, says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. If my faith is dead, has no real work, is it real faith? Or it's just something that I just want to identify with and that's all. It says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have work, is dead. So St. James is drawn the conclusion. He says, faith by itself, it does not have work, it's inactive, it's useless, it's inert. Dead things don't produce life. Dead things don't produce life. And by the way, I'll tell you, I, I like to give this analogy. I always tell people, if, for example, let's say you trust me, and you know everything I tell you is correct, okay? And I tell you, by the way, tomorrow, uh, the stock market is going to crash. And you know everything Abuna says is correct, okay? What are you going to do tomorrow? If you have stocks, you're going to sell them, right? You're going to tell everybody, stock market is going to crash. Abuna said it's going to crash. You're going to have to take an action, okay? If tomorrow I tell you, the, there's going to be a snow that's going to be 18 inches. All right? You will take an action based on what you hear. Now, our Lord gave us so many promises and so many commandments. How much do I trust in them? One of them is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do I trust in that or no? And he continues, says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. See, he's continuing to make the same argument. Somebody says, well, I, have, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. You cannot call me not Christian. But he says, well, show, show me how you're Christian. What shows that you're Christian? Some people nowadays, they say, well, I, dis I disagree with some things of the Bible. So how are you Christian? 
the Bible, this is the word of God. How are you, how you claim you're a Christian? He's also responding to what St. Paul said in Romans that people misunderstood. So look what St. Paul said. He says in Romans, uh, in, in Romans 12, 13, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So he told that St. Paul said, everybody God has given them a measure of faith. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit. So some people thought that as a Christian, I could have, have works and I might not have works as long as I have faith. And he's saying that's not true. Faith that only just uses words and does not have real depth and action and manifestation is not a real faith. He keeps caring about this. Be careful. St. James is not talking about somebody who is confident in, in themselves and have high self-esteem in themselves. He's talking about people who trust in the word of God. And if they trust, they must obey. And they must follow. You trust in the education system, you go through school. You trust that this career will be profitable for you, you go through it. You trust and you take an action. You believe that there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now he continues to say, they say somebody might say, I believe in God. He says, well, that's fine. But the demons themselves believe in God. You know what he's doing? He's showing how poor is the faith that claims that they believe without works. He says, your faith is almost like the faith of the demons. Can you imagine? Somebody says, I believe in God and does nothing. Their faith is comparable to the demons. Actually, the demons truly believe that God exists. And they know, they probably, if you think about theology, probably the demons have good theology. They know who God is. They know his trinity. They, they know all that stuff. But what's the difference between us and the demons? If I do not obey the word of God. If I do not have a real faith that I live out. Some of the rabbis, for example, said if you say the Shema, which is, which is one of the famous Jewish prayer in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you profess it, and you're committed to repeating it in prayer, then that, that's a manifestation of your faith. That's not it. We're talking about a faith that is working. The difference between us and the devil is that the devil knows that God did not die for the sin of the devil. He died for our sins. And we have a chance to be restored to the image of God. And then he continues, he says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Again, he's continue to use the same imagery. He say, faith without work is barren. Does not bring life. Does not bring children or virtue. 
does not bring any of this stuff. And it's important to know that anybody who makes a distinction between faith and works, there are, they're, they're just not very clear on the true meaning of faith. You cannot separate faith from work. If you tell me there is an elephant on the moon that's insignificant to my life, I don't need to, to trust you or not trust you. And even if I believe you, I don't believe you. It means nothing to me. But if you tell me there's life after death, you tell me some good news about what happens to my life and I take no action, then that shows that my faith is dead. I don't really believe. Or my intention toward my faith is not clear. Or I have a lot of healing I need to go through. When I'm extremely selfish, I'm extremely centered, self-centered. There's a lot of things that needs to go through when I'm talking about, about my faith. Now he goes and talks about a very specific example, the life of Abraham. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Now I'm going to stop this verse here because I want to explain to you some of the background. Why did St. James pick Abraham? Well, Abraham is known to be the father of faith. And as a matter of fact, look at what St. Paul said in Romans. St. Paul said in Romans something almost might seem the opposite of what St. James is saying. Be careful because this is so important. Let's see what St. Paul says in Romans. Four, from verse 1 to verse 4. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Let me read it slowly. It says, this is what St. Paul is saying. St. Paul is saying, Abraham was counted to him righteousness because he believed. He said if he truly, if it was all about his works, then he has something to boast about. He can go about it. He said, I have done this, and I have done this, and I have done this. Whereas St. James is saying, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son? So why does it seem there's a conflict here? And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm spending some time here because this is where a big of, a big of uh, I think there's a big misunderstanding or whatever, big different theological understanding between the Orthodox and the Catholic Church, and maybe the Protestant Church. We have to keep in mind that there, there is two different kinds of faith. Faith that, the faith that St. James is talking about, faith that I believe and I obey the commandments of God. And faith that is given as a gift to the believer, as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, that can lead me to do things beyond human abilities. This is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So there's an initial faith that is required by each believer by simply submitting to the commandments of God. It is not, by the way, within, it's not within our abilities to heal diseases. It's not within our abilities to cast out demons. That's not within our abilities. It's only a gift from the Holy Spirit. 
So what St. James is saying, he says, he's talking about the initial faith. The faith that you must do to obey the commandments of God. What St. Paul is talking about, the gift of faith that was given to Abraham. That gave him the ability to do something that is completely beyond human abilities. Do you understand when Abraham tried to offer his son, what was the problem with that? It is against the nature of God. God would not ever ask something so violent from somebody who loved him. But Abraham believed and trusted that God has some sort of a plan for him. Even everything he knows about God was put on the line at that moment. Yet he believed. And that's why God did not allow him to offer his son, but he gave him an animal to slaughter instead. So St. Paul is talking about a specific type of faith. St. James is talking about a specific type of faith. No faith is without the initial works that is required. And St. Cyril of Alexandria said, when Abraham bound Isaac to the altar, he did not merely do it as work that was required of him, but with the faith that in Isaac his seed would be a numberless as stars of heaven, believing that God raise him from the dead. Because God has given promise to Abraham that he will, from Isaac he will have many children. So Abraham believed in that promise. And Abraham's way of believing, he said, I probably will offer my son, and somehow God will raise him from the dead. This obviously was not God's plan for him. God kept him alive. And that's quite important. Okay? Because the way that St. James is writing this letter, as if he's arguing with somebody, an imaginary person, and he's telling him, if you think this way, think about this. If you think this way, think about that. Because there was a misunderstanding of the message that was sent by St. Paul. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. This is what he's talking. Faith, by the way, is a journey. It's not on and off. That's why the scripture talks about the disciple Sometimes having faith, sometimes having weak faith, sometimes having no faith. Faith is a spectrum. It's not on and off. It's not an intellectual thought that goes and come. So because Abraham continued to be obedient and continued to grow, his faith in God became perfected. And when his faith in God became perfected, he was able to obey beyond human ability. You know, sometime when you look in the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus said, this is a sign of a Christian. What is a sign of a Christian? That he will heal diseases. He will cast out demons. This is what Elogius is Christ talking, saying. This is a sign of a Christian. Sometimes when I look at these verses, you're shaking. How far are we as a Christian from what God has said we should be? Right? So saying Abraham, because he continued to be obedient, 
obedient to the law that God has given him. Now, once God gave him a law, he obeyed it, then he went beyond the law. And all of this because he continued to obey in the small things and increase his obedience level after level after level. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed and was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. As a result of his faith and obedience, you cannot separate both of them. He received two things. He was counted righteousness. You know what does the word righteous, righteous mean? It means that he was, he was counted in the right relationship with God. Yeah, and you will see this in Genesis after Abraham offered his son. What does the angel of the Lord told him? He told him, now I know that you fear God. Now this knowledge became manifested to everybody. Now I know that you fear God. Why? Because he was obedient and that obedience made his relationship with God right. You know, like if you have a child who disobeys his parents all the time, the relationship is not right until it goes back to the dynamic of the typical hierarchy. Same thing in a, in a work environment. If you have an employee who does not follow the policies of a company, what happens? They are not right with the company. The company has the right to kick them out, to fire them, or to discipline them, whatever they like. This is what, the, the, what disobedience did. It made his relationship with God right. The other thing is, he says, that he was called a friend of God. And you will see this, by the way, in Second Chronicles 27, when the Lord says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land and before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Abraham was called a friend of God forever. Isaiah 41.8 says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. The obedience to God takes us from a level of slaves to the level of children to the level of friendship with God. And St. Paul, by the way, speaks of the same thing. He speaks of obedience of faith in Romans 1.5. He speaks also with faith working through love in Galatians 5.6. So if somebody only thinks of faith as only separate from work, they have the wrong understanding of faith. You see then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. The covenant between God and Abraham was not only by faith. It's not only Abraham said, I believe you in God, and that was it, that's the end of it, and they're done. No, there's requirements that was required of Abraham. There's action that was required from him. Obedience, submission, all these things were required from him to continue. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. If you guys remember the story of Rahab the harlot, what happened was in the time of Joshua, they were trying to spy on the promised land, and they sent a couple of spies, and then they were going to kill them, and then she hit them, and they told her, what do you want, for, what do you want from us? She told them, I know that God, your God is a, the real God, the true God. So please, when you come and take over our nation, please don't kill me and my family. So Rahab believed in God, 
of Israel, and because of her belief, she took an action, and this action made her and her, and her family are saved. And by the way, look at what St. James is saying. He's using an example of somebody who is the father of faith and somebody who is not even a Jewish. He says, the law of obedience to God applies to both, whether you are a believer, whether you know you are born and you know all the laws, or somebody who is observer from outside. You must follow and be obedient to the laws of God. And you see this in, in Hebrews as well, by faith, the harlot Rehab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies and with peace. Some Jewish tradition says that she risked everything because she repented and believed in the true God of Israel whose mighty deeds she had heard. And in pleading for forgiveness, she mentioned her treatment of the messenger and was declared righteous. So her action made her righteous. I'm sorry, I'm just kind of, I want to I keep this idea in our minds so strong because and this is one of the problems of having a lot of weak Christianity around the world is that people have started to put their own morals and their own standards above the scripture. And if the scripture is in conflict with what they want, they simply say that part of the scripture is not authentic, is not true, was not, I don't agree with it, as if, as if the true Christianity is what they believe, not what God said. And then he finishes this section, he says, for, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So James concludes this whole section and says, just like a body would be dead if it has no spirit, like, you know, when you see like somebody in a funeral, his whole body's there, it's like just a corpus, there's nothing inside, there's no breath of life in it. Same thing, if you have faith without, without works, that's the same thing. It's dead, doesn't exist. It just as looks from outside, inside nothing. Um, I want to read to you a passage, so I just want to keep, keep it in mind because I think I found this to be quite interesting. The father of the concept uh, of sola, of the idea of being saved by faith, is Martin Luther. I just want to read to you his introduction to the book of James, okay? And see how he looked at faith. This is the person who said uh, people are saved by faith alone, because I think it's important to know that this is such a complicated case and see what he says. He says, oh, it's a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing, it not, if it's impossible for it not to be doing good things in the sense Italy, it does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this, and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever, he, he gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good work are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. So even the person who kind of give, kind of uh, uh, promoted the concept of saved by faith alone, he, in his introduction to James, he says that faith cannot separate it from work. The faith is actually has a lot of work and is active and is dynamic. 
And it's important to keep that in mind. And any time somebody says, I'm a Christian, or we say that we're Christian, and we have no work, and we have nothing to prove it, then we know that our faith is dead, is not real faith. Uh, we'll just take maybe uh, one more verse from chapter 3, and then we'll, we'll continue next time. So chapter 3 to 4, the breakdown is dissension within the community. So from verses uh, 1 to 12, the harmful effects of the uncontrolled tongue. He's going to talk about how people, one of the, one of the aspects of faith, one of the aspects of having works with faith, is to control your tongue. He's going to talk about two different people. People he would, who would say they are teachers, and people who, who would consider to be uh, cause of dissensions and problems in the church. So he's handed in two different groups. He's going to talk first about the teachers of the church, and then he's going to talk about those who cause problems in the church. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So in the church, there is an order, like deacons and clergy, that's called teachers. And uh, it's almost like, it's like apostles and ministers, and you'll see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and Acts 13, 1, and Romans 1, 12, 7, in many ways. Okay? It's almost like somebody who's equivalent to a Jewish rabbi. They're saying, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. What's the problem here? He's saying, if I'm a teacher, I am least likely to receive condemnation because my words, if I make a mistake, I could impact people. I remember one time, one of the fathers of church told him something I'll never forget. He said, not every saint is required to be a teacher, but every teacher is required to be a saint. Not every saint is required to be a teacher, but every teacher is required to be a saint. Now, the surprise is, is that St. James himself was most likely one of those orders of teacher. Because he said, look at, look at the way he said it. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teacher, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So he's talking now about himself as a teacher. He looks at himself and he says, as a teacher, I know the fact that because I'm teaching and I'm talking too much, I'm going to receive a greater, a greater judgment because I know more. And each time I teach and I explain, these words are a reminder to me and also a judgment to me. It's a big, a big, uh, big statement. And it makes us become careful. Because sometimes teaching becomes something that people are attracted to. And in it, there's a lot of responsibility. And there's a lot of, a lot of uh, challenges and a lot of condemnation and judgment to those who teach. And it's quite important because some people teach and then go outside and they live their life contrary to what they teach. And now people took it step up 
where they can go advertise on social media a life contrary to what they teach. So the hypocrisy is not even hidden, but is, it is revealed. And what St. James is saying, those who are not careful about that, they will receive a stricter judgment. It's a responsibility. To be a teacher, it's a responsibility. God willing, we'll continue next week to talk about why does St. James see this as a big responsibility? And glory be to God forever and ever. Thank you.